Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. It's 107 in Edmonton. You're listening to Oilers Now, which is brought to you by our title sponsor, Digitex. They want to wish you and yours all the best during these uncertain times. Digitex.ca is Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. You can text us at 780-496-0063 on our Ashley Fine Floors text line. Ashley Fine Floors is providing winning results for over 35 years. Former defense Mark texts the show and says, Bob, you referenced MAGA hats. Uh, and Mark says, I wouldn't be caught dead in one because they're ugly. Would much prefer wearing my Oilers hat. Well, there you have it. Uh, we are going to have uh, John Shannon coming up, uh, our NHL insider at 135 this day in Oilers history, as well as NHL today for elite promotional marketing. But right now we head off to the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline. We're pleased to be joined on the line by a man who uh, was already on 630 Chet asking questions of the Premier earlier today, David Staples from the Cult hockey david how are you i'm good bob how are you good what are your thoughts over the development really over the last 24 hours uh with the province of alberta uh clearly revealing its position and, and it's something that you knew about before but uh premier kenny certainly has stepped up here in terms of uh, getting the messaging out there that alberta and uh, specifically edmonton uh, very interested in uh, being involved if the nhl can get started up again it was interesting to see both Kenny and Don Iveson come out so strongly yesterday in favor of this. Kenny had indicated it before and Iveson hadn't. Um, you know, my only concern with the, the whole thing is I think that um, Kenny and Hinshaw are very strict in terms of regulating the pandemic, which I think is a good thing, generally speaking. But I just wonder if the NHL might go to a jurisdiction in the United States where I'm not going to say the rules, well, that the rules are laxer, right? Where they're, where they're a little bit more freewheeling in terms of public safety. And I think there are some jurisdiction, jurisdictions in the states where that's the case. Although Alberta's had a pretty gentle approach to the lockdown. You know, a lot of industrial sites kept going here compared to other places in Canada where they were shut down. But I, I just wonder, like, I think there's tons going for Edmonton as a site. Low Canadian dollar hotels downtown connected by Pedway to the arena. There's two rinks at that main arena. Other rinks really close by. So much going for us. But I wonder if the NHL might be a little bit, um, not that they're, wor- you know, they're, they're going to be worried about safety, but they might think, well, we, we can't get shut down if we go, so maybe we're going to go to a place where it's a bit more freewheeling. 
Do you worry about the current standard that's out there for people that come into the country being at 14 days? I know yesterday uh, the U.S. and Canadian governments, and maybe that's a question for uh, for Freeland and for Justin Trudeau, but you know, there's still the federal perspective on letting people in and out of the country and the uh, 14-day quarantine period that theoretically is supposed to uh, take place. So are you worried about that at all? Well, they're going to have to make a deal, I think, with the the federal government. Now, when they come in, they'll have been under self-quarantine, but, you know, the NHL, will, will the government recognize that, that the players are already, and they'll be tested as soon as they come in, like everyone's going to get tested. But I'm assuming when they come in, they, they're going to start to want playing, practicing, uh, at least, you know, for a week or so together. So so that's going to have to be allowed, where as soon as they get here, they're going to have to be allowed to practice. But I think that a special rule that won't be offensive to the public and will be perfectly in line with everyone's health and safety can be put in place for the NHL. I don't see this as that as a big obstacle. And But we, I don't know if we've heard Justin Trudeau speak to this specifically like Kenny and Iveson have so positively. But again, I can't see Trudeau getting in the way of this. If Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, their big uh, liberal stronghold cities, are in the NHL playoffs, I don't see them uh, putting up major roadblocks to this either. We're joined by David Staples from the Cult of Hockey in the Edmonton Journal. He's all over COVID-19 with the journal. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, just if you go on Twitter right now, Dr. Teresa Tam recommends wearing a mask in public. That was not the course of action that was suggested out of that office uh, about two months ago, which shows you now that we have more information and how the landscape changes and that sort of thing. And that's something that we need to factor, David. Like, you know, maybe the course of action uh, federally is going to be different in a month from now than it currently is. Uh, The one concern, you know, and I've asked you this before in in terms of Edmonton versus Calgary and the, you know, obviously Calgary and Southern Alberta have gone through much more challenging times with COVID and things touch wood so far here in Edmonton are pretty good. Red Deer as well as an example. Um, But, you know, the federal government represents all of Canada. And currently 95% of all uh, COVID deaths are in the provinces of Quebec and Ontario. Uh, The Western provinces are obviously in a little bit better spot in that regard. And and can you have a standard for one part of the country that you can't have for other parts of the country? Can a federal government do that, David? You know, Bob, if I'm completely honest, I've stopped paying attention to Dr. Tam because I just don't think she has much say over what happens here in Alberta anymore. It's she doesn't have okay. unless they impose an emergency measures, it's Dr. Hinshaw and Kenny who set the policy here, except for foreign travel. That's the one thing where Tam will have a say. Other than that, she's largely irrelevant to what's going on here. But foreign travel could be a factor, David, down the road yeah. as well. So there, yeah. there's that That's to consider. Let's get to some hockey to stuff. Up. i got to throw a curveball at you. We had Alice Hemsky on the show yesterday. Uh, and I, I know I tweeted something out on Dustin Penner today after I saw something on Twitter. Uh, Dustin Penner scored 93 goals in four years as an Oiler. He was the best player on the team in 2009, 2002, uh, 10. Had uh, 32 goals that year, went plus six. Uh, won two Stanley Cups. And uh, the Oilers basically got back a first-round pick for him that turned out to be Oscar Clefbaum and, and, and a prospect in Colton Tuber, who didn't plan out, pan out. Um, are Alex Hemsky and Dustin Penner maybe viewed a little differently now, David, by the, the, or were they always viewed better by many of the fans 
than some of the critics those guys had in the media? Well, there was huge factions of fans that really liked Dustin Penner and a larger faction of fans that didn't like him. And I was in the group that, that always liked him and appreciated what he brought to the game. I think he was one of those guys who was very smart defensive hockey player who got his body in the right spot defensively, didn't uh, freelance at all, was always on, often on the right side of the puck. And um, then there was this faction of fans who just loved, absolutely loved Hemsky. And the media, I think, was probably probably a little bit more lukewarm on a Hemsky. And I wasn't in the most avid pro-Hemsky camp in Edmonton. I, I really loved his game. But, uh, you know, he had some defensive deficiencies that, in his game that, that uh, I, I never overlooked. So I was... I was I was always a bit more of a Penner fan than a Hemsky fan, if I'm completely honest. And I, I know that probably goes against the grain for most Oilers fans, but I loved uh, Penner's game. thought he was just a very smart player, very effective, went to the net, screened the goalie, uh, won uh, important puck battles. Didn't always look like he was hustling because he's one of those big lumbering guys, but uh, he got the job done. He, the one thing he didn't get credit for, he didn't fight for himself. But when no. somebody got blown up or somebody got cheap shotted, he he threw down for his teammates. I'll never forget when uh, David Backus um, went after Sean Horkoff. Dustin Penner challenged David Backus to fights probably five or the one year in 2010. David Backus went and fought like Jonathan Taze and uh, I think he fought Corey Perry that year. Uh, he fought one other Canadian Olympian. And Dustin Penner grabbed Bacchus and is like, you know, you keep fighting all my friends playing for Team Canada. Let's go here. And Bacchus wanted no part of him. And uh, because Penner was, I know he, he he didn't come across as having a bit of a mean streak on the ice, but he was really strong. Like he hurt Landon Wilson, uh, you know, almost popped his shoulder out once in a fight. Uh, he, you know, the only guy that Penner lost to badly was Kevin Bieksa, who could really chuck him. And it was Dustin's first fight in the NHL. So, um I do think the physicality that he brought probably wasn't consistent enough for his detractors, but I actually think it was a little bit underrated. If he had played with a mean streak, Bob, like like if he had played with like Ethan Morrow's kind of mean streak or Messier's mean streak, we'd be, you know, we'd be raving about the guy. But that that wasn't his nature. Although I should say on Twitter, he's pretty controversial. He's got lots of uh, pretty strong opinions. Yes. <laughs> We're talking about his time here as an oiler. Yeah, on the ice, he was. He, 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 you're right, and his, his that kind of lumbering style of skating really makes makes him look like he was not always hustling. And but when you looked at, did he get where he needed to go? Which is a different question of whether someone looks like they're hustling. He got where he needed to go consistently, and I think he was an underrated player. It's interesting, right? My theory, and I know you've heard it before, 75% David on the player, 25% on extenuating circumstances. Uh, Dustin Penner lived in Joffrey Lupul's place when Lupul got traded in the Chris Pronger deal. It didn't go well for Joffrey in his one year in Edmonton, and he was flipped out of here. And then Penner signed and came to Edmonton that summer after winning the Stanley Cup as a restricted free agent. And we know that it didn't go well the first couple of years uh, with, uh, with with Craig McTavish. And that happens sometimes. Like, I think Edmonton might be able to capitalize on a situation where maybe Henrik Borkstrom didn't knock it out of the park early with Joel Quenville in Florida. Like, to me, I might be inclined to, you know, explore that option. Those things happen. 
But uh, it was remarkable how much Penner turned things around under Pat Quinn and Tom Rennie, where he scored 53 goals in less than two seasons to close out his time at Edmonton. Matt Benning. Uh, in- interesting case. I, Matt Benning's got a lot of support from the media. Uh, I know guys like Rob Brown, Jason Strudwick really like him. Uh, I think Matt Benning is a serviceable third-pairing defenseman. I think that when he gets pushed into a top-four role, to this point there's been some challenges, which is not to say maybe as he uh, you know gets older in his career, who knows? Yeah, never say never on a player, but it looks like he's he's certainly a useful NHL player. He's a restricted free agent. David, if you're Ken Holland, what do you do with Matt Benny? That is a very good question because so you'll have to uh, you know ma- match his contract if you're going to keep him, and he's he's already earning is it was at one point nine million a year. Yep. That's a very hefty number, Bob, for a third pairing defenseman. And at the same time, you have uh, Evan Bouchard who had a really strong year in the HL. And if he's not ready to play uh, in the NHL in, um, in uh, September, if they start in September, whenever they start, he'll be ready halfway through the season. He'll be ready for the NHL. Where does that leave you with, with Matt Benning? You also have William Loggison and Caleb Jones, who are capable of playing both sides of the ice, both right and left. You have, still have Chris Russell on another year contract. So I don't even know... I'm assuming that they will qualify him, but I don't even know if they will do that. And I see him as someone that they could trade in the draft for a, a draft pick or move in a trade. A lot of people who've put a lot of value in on-ice numbers, Benning does really there and kind of goals for a percentage, and I think in Corsi percentage. But um, he has always struggled, as you say. He's always struggled against tough competition. He's never really been able to move up like uh, Nurse has done, who was his old partner on defense. Benning wasn't able to do that. And because of that, and maybe it's due to injury as much as anything, and maybe when he gets healthy, he'll be that guy who can play in the top four, but we haven't seen it enough at Edmonton. So I do think he's likely to move on, depending on how he plays in the playoffs, of course. Based on how it went with Yamamoto, um, and again, I'm a guy that wanted Yamamoto up sooner than some other people, uh, you know, I'd have no problem. Defense is a tougher position. Uh, you know, I, I would say that, uh, you know, goaltender is the toughest position, takes the longest. Defense, second toughest. Center, third toughest. Winger, fourth. I have no problem uh, if Bouchard starts the year in the minors and comes up at some point. I'm going to be intrigued to see how the Oilers handle the situation. Chris Russell, after he gets a uh, a bonus payment, uh, or part of his contract paid out July 1st is only $1.5 million in real dollars uh, after basically July 1st or whatever the conclusion of the 2019-20 season takes place. David, I got to tell you, to me, Lagason hasn't shown enough to think that he can play the right side. I know he did it in the minors, but I, I need to see more out of William Lagason before I'm ready to concede that. In, in Caleb Jones' case, I want to find a way for that kid to be playing uh, every game when we when we get back this season, let alone next season. Uh, the draft, we don't know when that's going to happen. Maybe we'll have a little bit more clarity. I know you've done a lot of work on this. Have you developed an appreciation for all the different guys that put out draft lists out there? You know, I have, Bob, and it's, it just strikes me how hard it is uh, for anyone to succeed at the draft, like any NHL team. Not to mention, like the the people like uh, Ryan Kennedy, Corey Pronman, Alan Mitchell, who try to rate all these prospects, and uh, yeah. it's just it's interesting to me how well some of these guys do. Um, 
the NHL scouts. So what I did is I, I re-ranked three drafts and kind of compared uh, the draft list from that time to how players have panned out. NHL scouts do the best in terms of predicting kind of future performance, but it's very close. And I found people like Mark Edwards at Hockey Prospect and Alan Mitchell at Low Tide were very close to the NHL scouts in terms of being able to predict which players are going to perform the best at the NHL level. So uh, good for them. Good for some some of these some of these guys uh, have a very sharp eye for talent. They don't have you know they don't have all the resources of NHL teams, but they're doing a good job. I would say that Alan's a grinder and is good at gathering information. In the case of Mark Edwards, I will tell you that Jack and myself, uh, Tom Gazzola, Chris Westcott over the years would always see Mark at the Combine. Uh, I, I know that there's people currently on the Oilers coaching or on the Oilers scouting staff uh, that have a lot of time for Mark and the work that he's done. Uh, we've had Mark on the show, as you know, a fair amount over the last couple of years. He really knows uh, specifically the OHL, which I think is the best league. Uh, I will tell you, David, from my perspective, my expectation, just given the amount of former U of A connections, is I should have a pretty good handle of the WHL, and I don't have any false illusions about the caliber of the respective WHL draft. And a year like last year was a really good year. I was really high on Doc. Um, and I, in fact, I remember thinking of the guys in Saskatoon after the draft took place and they flew Kirby into Chicago. I was like, if I'm the Saskatoon Blades, I might not be counting on Kirby coming back right now. And they ended up going down that path. Uh, but it's, 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 it's interesting. So it's great that you recognize, but it is a crapshoot and some of it has to do with which organizations draft. Um, you know, Wayne Gretzky. If, if there was an NHL draft, remember 19 year old draft when Gretzky played. Uh, or was that the 20-year-old draft at that time? Would Wayne Gretzky have been drafted by Montreal number one in 1980 if he had gone through the draft, right? How different are things then? We just talked about Brian Lawton. Uh, you know, if he, if, if, you know, Pat Lafontaine, everybody thought Lafontaine was going number one in 83 and Minnesota took Lawton. Steve Eisman going number four to Detroit. What happens if Lawton doesn't have the pressure of being a number one pick? How does his career turn out differently? So I think situations like you can, it's, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's easier to have revisionist history. Uh, but the, the, the one thing to be stated is, I mean, those guys tend to put their necks and then we don't know what kind of influence managers have in the first round or even coaches, Dave. In some situations, which is uh, would surprise some people, because a lot of time the coaches don't see the guys actually play during the course of the season. It's a total crapshoot, Bob. And if you have one name wrong on your list, you may end up with, let's say, instead of getting Braden Point in your draft, maybe you end up with Casper Kapanen. So instead of you get, instead of just because you have one name out of order in an NHL draft. That's the, that's how the degree of magnitude your mistake can make. You can you could lose probably the third best player in that draft and get maybe the twentieth or thirtieth or fortieth best player or somebody who doesn't pan out at all, just because you have one name out of order on your list. So it's a very difficult process for these guys. David, in the 2014 draft, we used to have Craig Button on the show, and I know the suggestion got brought up at some point that the Oilers should trade for Griffin Reinhardt. And trade the third overall pick for Griffin Reinhardt, who was the fourth pick in the 2012 draft. And, uh, you know, 
Leon Dreisaitl ended up being the third. So Leon Dreisaitl was a guy that I was high on, but even I didn't yeah. think he'd be this good. And I will tell, I, I'm the first to admit when I'm wrong, I was wrong on Griffin. I thought he was going to be a legitimate NHL. If there were people that thought Griffin Reinhardt could have been, you know, Serge Savard after he broke his ankles, like a, a real thinking man, smart, you know, confident puck-moving defenseman. It just never came to fruition, didn't put the work in. David, how do people follow you? Uh, for the hockey stuff, at D Staples on Twitter and at the Call to Hockey. Hey, thanks for your time, David. Thanks, Bob. You bet. It is 126 in Edmonton. Brent Ridge, Ford, and Wetasco, and focus on your health and peace of mind. Right now, they're uh, offering special discounts to those battling the COVID-19 pandemic on the front lines. This includes Canadian Forces personnel, first responders, professional health care workers, pharmacists, and pharmacy techs. Find out more about how Brent Ridge Ford is built to lend a hand by calling 1-877-477-3673 or visit BrentRidge.com. And I'm going to have news for you tomorrow about how you can go out and see uh, Rich and Uncle Milt and Johnny and the gang at Brent Ridge Ford. They've got some new deals taking place as well. We'll go off to a global news weather traffic update with Kerry McCarthy. Come back with our NHL insider, John Shannon. You're listening to Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.